Are you not entertained? Get busy living or get busy dying. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given to us. Thanks for joining us this week on Taboo Talk with Jay Louder. Today's podcast is going to have a little bit different tone than normal because we're going to be talking about the signs and warnings of a suicidal person. Now, you initially may think, well, hey, this is not a struggle that I'm having, or maybe not even you think anybody that you know. But sometimes there are scenarios and people in your inner circle or even your outer circle that if you don't detect what's going on in their life, if you don't recognize what some of those warning signs are, you can miss it. Earlier today, I was looking at the Center for Disease Control and was looking at some of the most recent statistics. And I want to set the table and just remind you of what the Center for Disease Control is telling us right now just about the statistics of suicide. It's the second leading cause of death among people ages 10 to 14 and 25 to 34. And according to their most recent statistics, 12 million people have been thinking about suicide, 3.2 million have planned a suicide, and 1.2 million in their most recent year attempted suicide. That's literally one death every 11 minutes. And on top of all that, I think about right here, even in our community, it's been big news just literally 48 hours ago, a coach of one of the larger schools here in our area ended his life with a gun. About a year and a half ago, one of the most well-known businessmen right here in our city who owned uh, a litany of dealerships ended his life. And so suicide is really, it's a pandemic. It's something that affects people worldwide. It's not just something that affects a certain group or a certain age group. It's not just an issue here in North America. It's an issue worldwide. And with that being said, I want to introduce today's guest, She's a longtime friend of me and my family, and not only that, she is the Director of Operations of Harvest Ministry, Sharonda Donnell. Uh, Sharonda, how long have we been together now here at Harvest? Is it 10, 11, 12 years? 12 years. 12 years. So initially, Sharonda started out just kind of filling gaps and helping out anywhere that she could, and just over time, she's just elevated herself just because of her talents and her abilities and her skills. And quite frankly, she runs this organization. She knows way more about it than I do. But I'm really excited about having her on the podcast today because when we talk about suicide, this is something that Sharonda understands. Sharonda, welcome to today's podcast. Thank you. Now, tell us a little bit. Obviously, I know your story at some level, uh, but our listeners don't. Tell us a little bit about your story. Okay. When I was uh, 16 years old, I had started uh, partying a lot during high school And I was being bullied by a group of girls at my high school, and um, it led to some depression, and then my boyfriend ended up breaking up with me and betraying me, and um, I felt isolated and alone and felt like I had no hope, and so I started thinking about different ways that I could end my life. And I even remember mentioning several times when I'd get into arguments with my parents or my siblings that I was just going to kill myself because nobody loved me or cared about me. And one night I decided I was going to follow through, and so I wrote a suicide note to my family 
and uh, went out. My dad had a pistol that he carried in his uh, vehicle for rattlesnakes. We lived out in the country. And I went out to his pickup, got the pistol out of his pickup, and came into the house. And I stood in my bedroom, and I pulled the trigger, and it was on safety. And so, you know, then I started battling with myself. Is this really what I want to do? You know, and, of course, the enemy started speaking to me. Nobody loves me. You know, nobody cares if I'm dead or alive. And so I took it off of safety and pulled the trigger back again, and I was crying. And I was about to uh, pull the trigger again. And my brother had heard me crying, and he woke up and came into my room, and he took the gun from my hand before I pulled the trigger the second time. Now, I know Sharana's mother, and I know her father, and in case you're wondering, well, did Sharana come from an abusive background? Did she come from a background? Because you hear this oftentimes where the parents were disconnected or maybe even uh, physically or emotionally abusive. I know for a fact that wasn't the case because I know both her mother and her father. And Sharana, your dad's a preacher, correct? Yes. So it really had nothing to do whatsoever. I mean, you had a great home life, correct? Absolutely, yes, I did. Now, did your parents, um, did they actually find, did your brother tell your parents about this? Did your parents have any idea? Did your inner circle, your close friends, did anybody know what was going on in your life? No, they had absolutely no idea that I had went so far down a rabbit hole of depression. And did your mom and dad eventually find out? I mean, did your brother tell them or did you tell them? Well, the night that I tried to commit suicide, my brother went and woke up my parents and had them come in there. And so they came in there, and they talked to me, and they prayed over me, and honestly spent, I think, like a week at home in bed. Um, And finally, uh, my parents had me see a professional. You know, my parents were talking to me, praying over me daily. They were doing uh, alternating suicide watches is what I would call it. Uh, One would stay with me during the day, and the other one would stay up with me at night. Well, uh, that's great that your parents ended up uh, getting you some professional counseling because that's uh, some people are very leery of that, but that's always a great idea. But one of the things that you mentioned that is a common denominator, I've been speaking on suicide. I've written articles that have been published with CNN, Fox. I've done countless radio interviews and TV interviews. That matter of fact, if you're looking for some of these warning signs and myths as you're driving down the road, you can find you can Google my name, suicide, and there are a lot of those. But Sharonda, you mentioned one of the common denominators. And that is nobody knew. Nobody had any idea. Was that something intentional that you were trying to keep away from your parents? Was there a reason that your inner circle, maybe some of your best friends did not know? What, what was the theory, the, the logic behind that? I don't know that I was intentionally keeping it from anybody. Um, I actually thought I was crying out for help when I would mention it, you know, in an argument or whatever. You know, I'll just kill myself. You know, I, you know, I was trying to get them to understand how bad off I was without saying, look, I need some help. And that also is a very common thing, um, something that I don't want to get into my story today, but these were things that I did as well. Um, I did not come out and say that I'm going to end my life, but I was saying things, as you mentioned, Sharonda, that I was hoping would get attention. I remember one specific person, I'll just mention it was my mother. And uh, I, I just said, I, I just feel so hopeless. I, I feel life isn't worth living. And, of course, my mom didn't recognize that. And she's like, oh, honey, everything will be all right. Her intentions were, were good. It wasn't that she was negligent or that she didn't care. It's just that my cries for help were almost subliminal. And nobody could recognize that. 
Yeah, I feel like that was the same with me. They didn't really understand the full effect of what I was saying. They just thought that, you know, I was just being a typical teenager, you know, things weren't going right, and that I wasn't being serious. I wasn't that far into depression and going to actually try to end my life. Sharonda, were you a believer at this time in your life, or were you not? Yes, I was. And see, this is another misconception. There are a lot of people that think, well, you know, Christians don't attempt suicide. That's not true. I've literally heard from Christians all over the world who have attempted suicide or who have thought about ending their life. Just because a person is a believer does not mean that they're immune to depression, to anything, to sickness, to suicidal tendencies. Obviously, they have a supernatural power to allow them to get over it. And Sharonda, I wonder if one of the reasons that you didn't mention it to anybody was because this is something else that I've heard so many times, fear that people wouldn't understand, fear that there would be even greater criticism. Did that have anything to do with it at all? Well, I mean, I often said to my mom, you know, you just don't understand. And she's like, oh, I was a teenager once. I understand, you know. But, I, you know, she just didn't really get where I was coming from at the time that I felt like I had no one, absolutely no one. Yeah. And well, obviously your mother meant well, she's a great lady, but again, there's just a lot of folks that don't recognize some of these warning signs that we're going to talk about today or don't know how to deal with them. You mentioned, and I've written in the past about seven particular warning signs. And I find it ironic that, I mean, we didn't discuss this beforehand as far as you and I going through what these warning signs were. And you mentioned four of the seven, you mentioned depression, I mean, this is something that plagues people of all ages. Matter of fact, I read something recently, and I can't recall where it was, that said that depression is the leading sickness in the world. And matter of fact, uh, research tells us that depression, not only can it lead to suicidal tendencies, but a litany of other health problems. Another one you mentioned was substance abuse. Uh, a warning sign oftentimes is somebody who maybe normally doesn't abuse or use alcohol or drugs or maybe even prescription drugs who now is beginning to abuse them in a way that they normally wouldn't. Another one you mentioned was isolation. This is so prevalent where people begin to withdraw. They begin to pull back from family or friends. As you mentioned, you didn't want anybody to know. Uh, a fourth one you mentioned was was being bullied. Speaking at uh, college and high school campuses literally all over the world, internationally and here in the United States. I have seen this so many times where teen, this, of course, this is more of a teenage issue, of course, but teenagers who are being bullied at school and get to that place of helplessness, hopelessness, uh, nobody seems to understand or nobody's doing anything about it or they're afraid to say anything because of reprisal that they may get. So you mentioned four of the seven. Of course, the other three um, is aggression, unusual aggression that somebody normally wouldn't display, threats of suicide. You know, this is something, uh, and Sean, I think you said you never actually gave any threats, I mean, blatant ones. They were more subliminal. Is that correct? Well, I would say in arguments, you know, which a lot of people say stuff in arguments that they don't mean, and I guess that's the way my family took it, that I would just go kill myself because nobody cared, you know, but... They just took it as one of those things that people say when they're angry and don't really mean. I find this ironic because um, oftentimes, and I've heard this, where somebody was actually giving a threat and somebody responded by saying they're just trying to get attention. Well, what I want to say, of course I don't, I want to say 
duh, don't you recognize? Yes, that's exactly what they're trying to do. They're trying to get you to recognize that something is wrong. While they may not feel comfortable coming out and openly saying that they're considering thinking about contemplating ending their life. And so these threats, as you mentioned, um, threats could be, uh, I no longer feel like living. I feel hopeless. Uh, people, I, the world would be better off if I were no longer here. These are things that, yes, they are a cry for help, but they can be something even deeper. Um, another one that's that's huge, and and I think uh, I, you know I can't verify this, but I think one of the suicides that we've seen here in our community was the result of a tragedy in the family. And you see this is, uh, with teenagers where maybe a girlfriend died, a boyfriend died, a car wreck, an overdose, whatever. And you even see it with adults, the loss of a spouse, uh, a grandparent, a child. So these are some of the warning signs that are often displayed in someone's life. Sharon, is there any other ones that I normally don't talk about that resonate with you or that might have played a role where you were at in, in this phase of your life? Well, when you talk about tra- tragedy and they lost somebody, I mean, I lost a boyfriend. That was the only person I felt like I had. And then once, you know, he betrayed me and broke up with me, I literally felt like there was no one. And so to me, that was the same as a death. So had you contemplated suicide before this situation arose in this relationship, this betrayal? Is that something you'd already thought about, or was that really the tipping point for you that began all of it? I, I believe that that was the tipping point. Yeah, and you see this so many times. And remind me, Sharon, what age did you say you were? 16. 16 years of age. And of course, you fall kind of in that right that category that the CDC was talking about. And, and eventually, Sharon, as we move on the podcast, I want to get to the place. Well, before I do, let me ask you this. Uh, you mentioned that your mom and dad, uh, you know, you stayed home for many days, kind of stayed in bed, and uh, your mom and dad were kind of a watchtower, so to speak, over you. And you mentioned, too, that they'd gotten you professional help. And let me just say, I, I don't want to dovetail on this too far, but I'm a firm believer in professional help. Now, let me quantify that. I, I believe in getting help. Um, I've mentioned this many times before. I'll mention it again. Uh, I've gone to marriage counseling off and on my entire marriage. I think it's a great thing. And I don't just go to anybody. We go to, actually in our case, it's a, he's a pastor. So we know that we're getting godly advice. We're getting biblical advice. But whether it's a pastor, uh, therapy is a great thing. Did that help you significantly? Was that something that you went through for a long time? Well, um, my parents got me counseling through the church and uh that was a benefit to me now when the school found out that i had tried to commit suicide they brought in a state psychiatrist and i will have to say that they did me more harm than they did me good yeah well i think that's where you've got to be extremely careful about um, who you submit yourself to or your kids to that again, you want to go to somebody. Uh, my opinion, of course, is is somebody that gives biblical counseling. We have never been to any counseling, nor have any of our kids that was not a Christian counselor. Now, of course, we would do that because we're believers. But uh, I, I think it's a, a great thing to do. So, did you go to counseling long term, Sharonda? And you mentioned that you felt like the counseling that you got through the church was beneficial. Is that right? Yes, I did. Uh, I probably went for about two to three months, and then um, 
I realized through this counselor that I was going to have to make a change in my life, um, that I needed to change schools. I needed to have a fresh start. I needed to change schools and my uh, core group of people that I hung out with because those people were not um, bringing me up. They were bringing me down. Mm -hmm. And did you, once you had this kind of tipping point that we mentioned earlier where, I mean, you were actually at the phase, this wasn't just a threat. You were at a place with a gun. You were ready to end your life. Did you ever struggle with this? Later on in life, was this a kind of a one-time occurrence, or was this something that you struggled with often on your entire life? Well, I've never tried to commit suicide again, but I do find myself in different seasons of darkness and sometimes finding myself going towards the depression uh, spectrum. But because I am stronger in my faith now, I know how to speak the word over me and to uh, help myself overcome those types of things. I see the warning signs in myself. Yeah, you know, and I've met a lot of people over the years who are great, wonderful, godly people that have had seasons where they have struggled with thoughts. Maybe they haven't necessarily got to the point where they pulled out a gun or got a bottle of pills and or wrote a note, but have had, <clears throat> excuse me, but have had seasons in their life where there has been thoughts and, and also, I've met people who've never struggled with that. But I would say that more people that I've met at some point have at least had the thought of suicide, never, maybe never really taken it that far. Let me ask you this. Did the people at your church, when did they, did they know about it? I guess they did. Yes, the people, because uh, my dad was a pastor, and he had to miss church um, during that week that they were doing the suicide watch with me. And so my, the church did know about it. And how did they respond? Because I've heard people say that um, they got a lot of backlash from people who were of faith, which it's sad to say that, but I've heard that many times. Did you experience any of that? No, and I think that's because I was a kid. You know, I got more sympathy than what I have seen, you know, as an adult with people who struggle with depression and suicidal thoughts um, in adults. You know, I've heard people say, you know, they just need to have more faith or, um, you know, they just need to trust in God and that sort of thing. But I did not experience that, and I think part of it was because I was a kid. Well, I want to hit on two things. First of all, I've got a question. It's a little off topic, but just in, in sitting here talking about it, I'm really curious. Is your dad being a pastor? Obviously, he lives in a glass house. He's under a microscope. I know this firsthand. Did your father experience any backlash as, well, I mean, hey, you're the pastor of the church. Your kids are supposed to be perfect. You've got a daughter that attempted suicide. Did he ever experience any of that? I don't believe so. If he did, he didn't tell me about it. Yeah, well, that, that's great. You mentioned something else um, where people might say, well, hey, you know, just pray it away. You're not trusting God enough. You need to have greater faith. Do you think that, honestly, that that's a real help, or do you think that's more of a detriment? All that does is add more guilt and more shame and more pressure to an already volatile situation. I think that it definitely adds more guilt and shame. Yeah. Uh, I, I think there is a, a thought about that where people have to understand that depression and suicidal tendencies uh, – and, and certainly there are cases, and you and I both know this. We've seen this right here through this ministry where people have been miraculously healed of things. Marriages have been turned around. People have been freed from addiction. But we've also seen in our years of ministry together right here at Harvest, 
We have seen multitudes of people who have struggled and they've had seasons where they've been clean and they've done well. And then they've had seasons where they've fallen back into some of the same struggles that they've once had. And wouldn't you agree that these thoughts of you need to pray more, you're not trusting God enough, is just, again, it's not helpful whatsoever. And all it does is, is add more pressure. Absolutely. And I feel like it's just a Christianese thing to say when you don't know what to say or you haven't experienced anything yourself. And if you were to go through it yourself, you would see it differently. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. Well, you know, we've talked a little bit today about what are the warning signs. And and, and let me say this. If you're a person listening to this podcast and somebody's committed suicide and you didn't see the warning signs, uh, the last thing that you need to do is spend the rest of your life carrying guilt. Some of these warning signs are not so easy to detect. And, I mean, here I'm a guy that attempted suicide. I'm a person who's been in ministry. And I had a friend, not an extremely close friend, but somebody that I knew well that I had dinner with on occasion. Uh, I would call him more of a colleague, but somebody that I, I knew fairly well. And one night we met at Taco Bell to eat dinner, and we were sitting there. And I knew that he was having some financial struggles, and I knew that he was having some marital struggles. And he talked about that openly. Now, you would think if anybody would be cognizant and recognize warning signs, it would be me. As much as I have spoken about this, encountered it in my own life. And so that night when we had this discussion at Taco Bell, and he was kind of unwrapping the, the different issues in his life, when I left there, in no way did I ever think, okay, I don't want to use his name, but... Uh, I'll call him Joe. In no way did I think that Joe was about to end his life. I had I would have never thought that. I just thought it was a season. Hey, man, everybody has marriage problems, and everybody goes through seasons of financial difficulty. And um, it was less than a week later, I got a phone call, and I could hear his wife screaming in the background. And uh, he had hung himself in the shower. His kids found him. I ended up being a pallbearer in his funeral. And I carried a lot of guilt. And even now, talking about it, it's not something I talk about very often, but I went through a season where I felt like, Jay, how did you miss this? Of all people that should have recognized this. So if, if, if somebody in your a family member or friend has committed suicide and you didn't recognize these signs, hey, listen, it can happen to anybody. Because sometimes, as Sharonda mentioned earlier, it wasn't a black and white blatant thing that she communicated. It was very subliminal. And sometimes they can be very hard to detect. And that's one of the reasons that, well, later on the podcast, we're going to get to prevention. And one of the things that that we're going to discuss is going to address one of the ways to combat that. But, Sharonda, what I want to do now, you know, we kind of talked a little bit about what those warning signs are. And, of course, that's not a comprehensive list, but I think it's a pretty valid list um, in, in, in lieu of what I know I've personally seen and what I've researched and studied. But there also is a lot of myths. The first one I like to talk about is many people think, and I, I would imagine there may be some people today listening to this podcast that think this is a huge mistake. And let me back up a little bit and say I think one of the challenges with today's church is the fact that we're not talking about some of the issues that need to be discussed. When's the last time that you've been at church and you've heard a sermon that addresses suicide. You say, well, Jay, it's not in the Bible. Well, yes, it is. It's in the Bible on numerous occasions. Sean, have you ever heard a sermon on suicide? Well, I have, but it was my dad. 
we preached it. Yeah. Well, and that probably so, makes sense. But wouldn't you agree that's a rarity? It's not something yeah. that's normally talked about. Absolutely. And I will tell that at one time I spoke at a ladies' meeting, and I told my story about suicide. And I had a, a lady come up to me afterwards and told me how selfish I was. And I was really shocked about that. Wow. Well, one of the myths, the first one I want to talk about is this very thing. People think that talking about suicide can lead to suicide. I've been told similar things, Sharonda, because obviously this is an issue that I've spoken about in churches all over the world. Matter of fact, uh, there was a I was invited to the UK. One of the reasons I was invited to the UK is because people got frustrated about driving to work downtown and they were watching bodies swing from the trees. And I remember when I got the initial phone call, they were really calling me to ask me if I could come address this issue. But anyway, there, there is a mindset among some people that believe talking about suicide can lead to suicide. It can cause people to start thinking about suicide. It can push people over the limit. But research has shown, and Sean, I think even you would uh, agree, or maybe you wouldn't. Let me ask you. Do you think if somebody would have came to you at this point in your life when, man, you're stuck in the ditch, you are sinking in quicksand, that if there would have been somebody, I'm assuming that you didn't have somebody, even though you had a mom and dad, great mom and dad who really loved you, you didn't have somebody that you felt like you could communicate with. Is that a fair assumption? Yes. And do you think that if somebody would have approached you and said, Sharana, listen, that you could trust, that was there, accessible, night or day, that was willing to listen to you, do you think that if somebody would have talked to you and that you felt was a true confidant that you could be open with, that that would have been a preventative to you getting to that tipping point where you did? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because once I lost the one person I thought that I had, then that's what made me spiral down to suicide. So if I'd have had somebody to talk to, maybe it wouldn't have got that far. Yeah, and even as you mentioned, those little uh, those little messages that you were sending were really your way of trying to instigate connectivity. It was your way of trying to get somebody to reach out. So it's a myth that talking about suicide leads to suicide. Actually, talking about suicide, talking about mental health, talking about depression, for that matter, talking about anything and being open. And now when I say talking, I don't mean talking to somebody. There's too many folks that are doing that already. I mean talking with, being a good listener having access to someone you know who loves you and cares about you and is accessible. Myth number two is people who talk about suicide don't do it. This kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier, Sharonda. These threats, I wish I was no longer here, be better off, the world would be better off if I wasn't here. Um, I just wish that I could die. These these statements that are being made, uh, in, in essence, are... Again, not only trying to facilitate, and you made some of these statements. It's a cry for help. It's a cry for help. And so this myth that people who talk about suicide or who make these statements don't do it could not be further from the truth. In my years of travel, not in every case, but the majority of cases where I've talked to a parent, a girlfriend, a mom, a dad, whatever, and in almost every case, when they look back in retrospect, these people who ended their life where people who did talk about it. Again, it may have been in a very toned-down version. Uh, It may have been kind of an under-the-cover version, but it was discussed. So people who talk about it don't do it is a myth. People who talk about it often do do it. Another thing is it happens without warning. 
Now, again, you can't say everybody because certainly there are cases where people are completely caught off guard. Nothing was being said whatsoever. But usually there is some warning, which goes back to the warning signs we talked about earlier. They may not be verbal warning signs. They may be physical uh, warning signs. They may be isolation warning signs. But they usually don't happen without warning. Um, Another one is... They only happen to certain groups. I wonder, Sharon. I know you've shared your story. Have you run into people who? Um, have you run into many people who are people of faith who have struggled with this issue? Oh yeah, absolutely. And would you say that maybe a good percentage of those people who you've talked with were actually believers? I would say probably more than fifty percent were believers. Yeah. See, some folks think that well, this is only a teenage problem. Or maybe this is only a problem with folks who are in certain groups or of a certain age. That's not true. Suicide can happen to anybody. It's not a certain group of people. Really, nobody is is isolated from it. And then the last myth that I want to talk about is people who attempt suicide once are unlikely to do it twice. That's why I asked you earlier, you know, that if this was something that you had struggled with more than one time, was it kind of an isolated case? Of course, you mentioned that although you didn't get to a place of taking a gun out, that it was something that you thought about. I mean, I know people don't want to hear this. I got saved at 21 years of age, and I would like to say on this podcast, I would like to say when I met Christ at 21 years of age, my suicidal tendencies completely dissipated. They evaporated. They never happened again. Although I would like to say that, that would be a lie. Now, I've never gotten to the place where I was, same place you were at, Sharonda, where I took a gun out and pointed it to my temple in an attempt to end my life. I've never gotten to that point. But there have been seasons. Um, and, and I think, Sharonda, you know, you mentioned earlier, and I, I want to just elaborate on this uh just kind of dovetail here for a minute um, about you felt that I guess you, I don't remember the vernacular that you used, but the enemy forces of darkness. What, what did you mean by that when you talked about you felt this? I don't know if you want to call it an evil. What, how would you describe that? And, and what were you trying to say when you talked about the enemy? I just felt like something really dark and oppressive, you know, was with me. The not that I was trying to commit suicide and that um, I could, you know, it was like, I, I, you know, you hear the angel on one shoulder and the devil on the other. Well, it was like I was hearing um, words from the enemy, you know, nobody cares about you. Nobody loves you. Nobody's going to miss you. Uh, just take your life. You know, it's not worth living. You know, you, you'd be better off. They would be better off, that sort of thing. Yeah, well, and, and we know, and I recognize not everybody who's going to listen to this podcast is a believer. I get that. But for those of us that are, my experience, Sharon, was very similar to yours in the fact that, matter of fact, if my roommate who walked in on my suicide attempt, if he were on the podcast today, I remember he came to hear me share my story in Austin, Texas, and he came up to me at the end of my talk and said, Jay, I will never forget the day that I walked in. Now, he wasn't supposed to be there. He was supposed to be at work. But this is exactly what he told me in Austin, Texas. He said, in all of my life, up to this day, he said, I have never sensed the presence of darkness or evil 
the way I did that day I walked in your room. Now, here's a guy that did not even know when he walked in the door because I heard him pull up on the gravel driveway, and I had already disengaged the hammer and shoved it underneath the sofa. So I was trying to cover everything up. But here's a guy that says, in all of my life, I have never sensed an evil, a darkness, an oppression the way I did when I walked in that room. So I understand some people may be listening today, and, and, and you're not a person of faith, and hey, that's okay, I get it. But I'm just telling you, I do agree with you, Sharonda, that the forces of darkness do play a huge role in these suicidal tendencies. You know, there's a scripture in John eight forty four that says, in description about this enemy, it says, he was a murderer from the beginning. In essence, saying that his whole agenda, his whole assignment, his whole M.O. is to end people's life. And so I certainly relate to that. But, yeah, this, this last myth is that people are unlikely. If, if they overcome or they were rescued from a suicide attempt, then they're in the clear. Nothing else to worry about couldn't be further from the truth. Oftentimes, people who in their life have attempted suicide on numerous occasions. Yeah. So, Sharonda, let's talk a little bit about, uh, and, and we've kind of hit on it a little bit, but for maybe there are people listening to the podcast today, and they've got a friend, maybe a spouse, a kid, a grandkid, a coworker, a distant relative, that they, they may not even know that they're suicidal, but they are in a deep, dark place, a place of hopelessness. And they're going, what can I do? I mean... What what are some steps that I can take to try to help this person? What would you say, Sharonda, uh, might be some of those things that a person could do or could have done in your scenario that might have helped avoid you getting to this this place of darkness? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, reach out to them. Um, let them know that you care and that you're there for them day or not and uh, pray for them. Continually lift them up to the Lord. Um, advise them to seek counseling um, and to find a support group. I mean, if it's not just you, you know, some other people, a church group, uh, their friends, whatsoever, they, they need somebody to be able to go and speak to. I agree with that totally. And it seems, you know, you, you may be listening today and go, God, that sounds so simple. It is simple, but sometimes it's the most simple act that can turn someone's life around. I kind of boil that down to connectivity. And I know some people right now that maybe you're a person listening and you're struggling with suicide. And you've been thinking about ending your life. And and you're afraid. Well, if I come out to my mom and dad, then they may be upset. Maybe you're an older person. Well, If I tell my spouse or my close friends or maybe even people at church, they're going to criticize me or they're not going to understand. Hey, listen, the most important thing you can do is reach out to somebody. Reach out. It, I call it connectivity. Finding someone, and Sharonda really hit the nail on the head, finding somebody who you trust, someone who's accessible, night or day, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And by the way, if you're going to tell somebody that you're going to be there for them and you know somebody's in this dangerous situation, being there for them means articulating and communicating a true sincerity that you will do whatever it takes. You'll be there in a moment's notice, that your phone is open 24 hours a day, seven days a week, that you want to do everything that you can to help them. That's all a part of really what you mentioned, Sharonda, connectivity. You mentioned another thing. 
you said prayer. I mean, for some people listening to this, Ron, they're going to go, come on. You and I have even seen this on social media, this moniker people make fun of. I say moniker, uh, people, correct, incorrect vernacular, but people make fun of, uh, you see this, thoughts and prayers. What have thoughts and prayers done for gun control? What have thoughts and prayers done for all the, the kids that were murdered recently in South Texas? Do you truly believe, Sharonda, that praying for somebody is an important step to prevention? Yes, I believe that prayer can change things. I do too. And again, it, it may sound simple, but I just firmly believe and I, I believe that to this day that the reason that my life was spared, even though my mother did not know that she knew I was in a, a dark place, my mother didn't know I was suicidal, but just because my mother was always praying for me. Matter, matter of fact, I'm a believer today because of the prayers of my mother. Me too. So I, I certainly agree with that. And so these are all issues of, of, of prevention. And the other thing, connectivity, of course, this goes hand in hand with connectivity, but this discussion, talking about it. We talked earlier about talking about suicide does not lead to suicide. It's not a catalyst to suicide. Talking, discussion. I don't know about you, Sharonda, but I find when I talk about anything that's bothering me, I tend to feel better. Yeah, that's so true. So um, another thing is, and, and let me say this, this is really kind of geared more when we talk about prevention. This is really geared more to the parent. Sharonda talked about one of the things that... Um, led to her getting to this place was not only the loss of a boyfriend, but Sharani, I believe you mentioned also being bullied at school. Is that correct? Yes. Uh, people just making fun of, and, and we see this in schools all over the country. We see it in some cases because somebody's too tall, somebody's too short, somebody's too thin, somebody's too wide, somebody doesn't have the right clothes, they don't wear the right shoes. The list goes on and on and on. And you see with young people over and over and over that suicide their suicide, one of the leading factors that led to that was because of the bullying, which basically is abuse that was going on at school. But one of the preventions, if you're a parent and you have a kid that's at school being bullied, you need to take appropriate steps. Part of prevention is providing a protective environment, a protective environment. You might be a a mother, uh, who has an abusive husband who is abusing your kids. The list goes on and on. But part of prevention is not only that connectivity, not only that open discussion, but it's providing a protective environment. Where And I, I get the fact that not every scenario can be remedied, but it's finding a place and environment of not necessarily isolation, but protection. Sharana, would you agree with that? Absolutely. That's why I had to change schools. And did that help a lot? Oh, it helped. It was like a tremendous change in my life. And was that a decision that you made, Sharon, or was that a decision that your parents made for you? Uh, it was a decision that we came to as a group, my parents, the counselor, and myself. Did you initially fight that, dis- that decision? No. Mm-mm. You welcomed it? I did. And did you find that when you went to the new school that you encountered some of the same issues that you'd had at the previous no, I had lots of friends and had a support group, and everybody was really uplifting instead of, you know, like tearing one another down. So it was a totally different atmosphere. You know, listening to Sharonda, there, there's so much weight there because sometimes all of us just need a fresh new start. And uh, obviously, it was huge in Sharonda's life. And then the last area of prevention really goes back to what we've we've been discussing, and that is recognizing the signs, being aware. 
trying to decode and decipher things in people's lives around you who you recognize who potentially may be struggling. Now, Sharonda, let's talk a little bit as we kind of get near wrapping this thing up. What role has your faith played in your mental health to this day? Oh, it's a huge role. Um, Once I started seeing the Christian counselor, um, she taught me how to speak the word over myself and pray the word over myself. And when I started doing that, uh, things changed for me in my life. I can't really explain it. It was like almost like somebody had cracked an egg over me and just washed down me. And so when I would, you know, speak these things, I felt different. And so it also built my faith up and helped me grow. Now, Sharon, I, I understand because I know you when you talk about speaking over yourself. But some people listening today may be going, what is she talking about? This is hieroglyphics. I have no idea. Can you elaborate on that? Sure. One of the things I um, have been speaking over myself since I was 16 years old uh, is Second Timothy 1.7. God has not given me a spirit of fear, but of power and love and sound mind. And so I would just speak that over myself when I when I got into situations where I was anxious or scared or, you know, afraid, and it just helped calm me. So, Sharonda, if I understand what you're saying, it's not only positive affirmation, but you're also taking scriptures that you personally have memorized, and you're, are you, are you quoting them out loud? Or are you quoting those in your mind? How does that work? I do it out loud. And I would even, when I first started doing this, or even to any time now, when I'm struggling in an area, I will go find different scriptures that pertain to my situation, and I'll write it out on a sticky note, and I'll stick it on my mirror at home, my dash in my car, and I will just read those things over myself. And I've even recorded it on my phone before and played it back to myself. Well, obviously, Jesus makes this statement in John chapter 14. In verse 6, he says, I am the way, I am the truth. Now listen to this, I am the life. You know, at the end of the day, Sharonda, I think all of us are not just looking to live, we're looking to have a life. There's a difference in existing and truly living. And Jesus said that the way to have a real life is by knowing him because he is life. And while, again, we've talked about how believers can struggle with anything, Believers can fall into any sin, make any mistake, have any problem. That ultimately Jesus has come, as opposed to the verse I quoted earlier in John eight forty four, where it says about the enemy that he is a murderer, that he's looking to end life. Sharon, I know you know this verse well. John chapter 10, verse 10. Jesus says, um, I have come to give them life and give it to them abundantly. In other words, Jesus is saying that I want you to have more than just an existence. I want you to have a purpose. I want you to have a meaning. And you may be out there today, and again, you may be a person who knows somebody who's struggling with thoughts of suicide, or it may be you yourself, and you're isolated. You feel alone. You feel like you don't have anybody that you can talk to. You don't know where to turn. Maybe you say, Jay, I don't even have the resources to get help because I'm broke. I want to say this, and again, I know it may seem trite, But I want you to understand clearly today that Jesus Christ is the answer. He says that he heals the brokenhearted and he binds up their wounds. He even says, cast your burden on me and I will sustain you. 
I will help you. I want to give you a life. I want to give you a purpose. And I want to give you a mission. And who knows, maybe even God wants to use the struggles that you have gone through or that you are currently going through to heal you to help other people. You see, for me and Sharonda both, we both know that we have been able to overcome this deadly pandemic solely because of our relationship with Christ. No, we're not perfect. Yes, we have seasons of discouragement, maybe even seasons of depression or darkness where the enemy comes against us. But we believe that 2,000 years ago, the Son of God was executed on Dead Men's Hill, that he came back from the grave, and that he's alive. And that even right now, as you are listening to this podcast, that you weren't directed here by accident, that it's God's way of reaching out to you, that it's God's way of saying, I've got this, turn to me. Sean, one of my favorite verses in all the Bible is found in Matthew 6, 33. It says, seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and everything else will be added unto you. In other words, he's saying, if you'll put me first in your life, I've got it. I'll take care of it. And so I want to encourage you today, whether you're a person who is struggling with suicide, whether you know somebody who's struggling with suicide, take Sharana's advice. Find somebody that you connect with. Pray for yourself. Pray for others. And be willing, even if you're not a believer today, be willing to go to God even if maybe you don't even believe in prayer, I would encourage you to call out to God and say, God, show yourself to me. Be honest with him. He can handle it. Say, God, I don't even know if I believe in you, but I'm in this place of darkness or I know someone who is and I need your help. Sharonda, I don't know about you, but I believe God will answer that prayer. Absolutely. Well, Sharonda, thanks for being a guest this week on Taboo Talk with Jay Louder. I just love your story. And of course, again, having known you for over a decade, work together every single day, and we've partnered together to try to reach people who are hurting, who are in need, who don't know Christ. And I can just say this, listen, again, Sharonda is not only a co-worker, but a a very dear friend. God has used her and her story to help many, many people, and he wants to do the same for you. We'll see you next time on Taboo Talk with Jay Lauder. 